we're going to get through the whole chapter tonight, Lord willing. We talked about last week that uh, Ecclesiastes is a book that is, it really is brutally honest. It, it says things that you already know, uh, and it says things that, that on the surface, and, and really if you think about them in some way, are, are kind of depressing, even, even for us, not only for the writer of Ecclesiastes, but also for us as well. But, but they're real. They're things that if we read them, and if we are honest, we can say, yep, these, these words are true. These words are real. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for these good words. And I pray, God, that you just would hide me behind the cross, that I would do a good job to preach and teach tonight, that whatever worries or thoughts of the world may be on my mind or anyone else's mind, God, that you would take them from us. God, we are here to grow in you and look at our own lives. God, maybe we have learned some of the same things that the writer of Ecclesiastes will speak of tonight. Maybe we will learn them tonight, or maybe we will learn them in the future. But God, let us learn your word and learn what matters in life and what does not matter. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, now this is the writer here speaking. Presumably this is Solomon as we talked about last week. There's some that would say maybe it's not Solomon. I believe it's probably Solomon. So a lot of times you'll probably hear me say Solomon. But that's up for, for discussion. But uh, it appears as though it is likely Solomon wrote the book. And he said to himself here, uh, Go ahead, I will test you, or in this case, I'll, I decided to test myself with pleasure. Maybe it's a little easier to understand. Go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. Okay, so we saw at the beginning of the book that, well, life was pretty much a bummer. That everything that went on seemed to be kind of a bummer. There was nothing new under the sun. We come, we go, nobody remembers who we were, or what we did, or where we come from. And so, what do we do in life when life's kind of a bummer and things aren't good? Well, let's have fun. Let's, let's find things that are pleasurable. And that's exactly uh, what Solomon says here. I will test you, or I will take part in things that bring me pleasure. I will enjoy what is good. Whatever I see that looks good, I will, I will do that, and I will take pleasure in it, and surely... That's going to make my life better. And we probably have done the same thing. There's probably been times in our life where we looked around and say, well, life's a bummer. I'm just going to go out and have fun. I'm just going to find something I enjoy doing that bring, brings me pleasure. And that will solve all of my problems. But it did not, as we see here. But it turned out uh, to be futile or it turned out to be meaningless or it turned out to be vanity. All those words essentially mean the same thing, but uh, meaningless is probably the one that's easy as far as to understand here. Everything turned out to be meaningless. Even the things that, that the writer here thought brought pleasure, that he thought was good, that he thought was going to make him feel better in the midst of all the, the, the downs of life, these things too pro, uh, proved to be meaningless. I said about laughter, it is madness and about pleasure. What does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life and with wine and how to grasp folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And so 
He began to explore. He began to try to figure out what's the point of all this. And he said, with wine, uh, he, he tried to figure out how to grasp this folly with, with, a little, with a little drink. Of course, wisdom still being his guide through it all until he could, he could figure out what was going on, uh, how, to, how to make sense of all these things that are going on in our life. And uh, perhaps we try to do the same thing to some extent. Maybe we say, okay, well, I have a little bit of wisdom, but... But maybe there's a little bit of folly in what we do too, and, and trying to kind of trying to kind of split the fence and say, okay, well maybe there's something to life. I'm going to try to figure it out, but I'm going to live a little bit for the world and live in a little bit of pleasure until I can make heads or tails about what's going on here. And that's exactly what the writer is trying to do. Verse four: I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. That's a long way of saying I had everything you could have. Everything that you could do, everything that you could have, I had the best of the best of it. Uh, he, had the, he had the wealth, he had the houses, he had the gardens, he had the slaves, and he even uh, makes mention there, slaves who were born into his house. Now that's kind of an interesting little thing tucked in there, but... But, but slaves that were, were, were born into your house had a little more prominence than a slave that you would buy. They were a little more dedicated to you because you've had them since birth. And per perhaps sometimes they were given more trustworthy tasks because they don't remember, oh, I was, I was bought or I was brought to be a slave here. Those who are born into your household, that shows that you are a prominent person, someone of power. And so... He had the houses, he had the plants, he had the, he had the wealth, he had the slaves, he had the concubines. He had everything more so than anybody who had come before him in Jerusalem. Now, this type of language sounds a lot like Solomon. He was wealthy, 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 and he was wise, wise, wise. And the wisdom of, and the wealth of the writer here of Ecclesiastes, that seems to fit Solomon and his life. And what did he say? I had all the things, the delights of men. Everything someone could delight in, I had it. Okay, so he's trying to figure out what's going on in this world. He's trying to make heads or tails about everything seems like a bummer, so I'm going to enjoy what's good. Here's what I have as I explored and tried to understand about this life. I had everything you could possibly have. And then he says in verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. For I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. Okay, so he had all these things. He realized that his life was a struggle, that everything was a bummer, that things were difficult, that there was good days and bad days, and the bad days, 
uh, continued to come. And so what did he do? He gained all of these material things. He gained all of the pleasures. And he says, this is my reward for my struggle. This is I deserve these things. For all the work I do, for all the hard times, I'm going to reward myself for my struggles, for the, for the bummer that life is. These things that I'm accumulating, these things that I'm doing, the wealth that I have, these things are my reward for my struggle. You deserve these things. You've been having a bad day? Well, go out and do something that you enjoy. This is, this is deserving uh, because of the struggle that you have gone through. Perhaps we feel the same way at times. Verse 11, When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he had everything you could possibly want, and what did he discover? It was all meaningless. He thought he was going to get pleasure. He thought even in the midst of his struggle, accumulating these things as his so-called reward was going to bring some type of joy into his life. And with all the wisdom and with all the wealth, he's come to the same conclusion that he started with at the beginning of the book. All of this is meaningless, he said. Verse 12, Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will a man be like who comes after the king? He will do what has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. Okay, so he's, he's looked at wealth, and now he's, he's focusing on wisdom and folly, and he realizes something that's important. There, there, there is good to wisdom, okay? So that's a good thing that he recognizes. But then, even though he acknowledges that wisdom is better than foolishness, at the end of the day, he says, but the same fate's going to come to both, the wise and the foolish. At the end of the day, both are going to die. And so even though he acknowledges that there is some good and some wisdom, uh, he doesn't find much comfort in that for very long because he recognizes that the fate of the wise and the foolish is going to be the same. Verse uh, 15, So I said to myself, What happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this also is futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man since in the days to come both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise man dies just like the fool? Therefore I hated life because of the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind. So he realizes that wisdom is good, but then he says, but what's the point of being wise? When all is said and done, it doesn't matter if I live a life of wisdom and somebody else lives a life of foolishness. At the end of the day, we're both going to die. We're both going to be forgotten. And so what's the point of doing good? Perhaps we have thought the same thing. Perhaps we try our best to do good and to do what God's Word says, and it seems like nothing works out for us. And we look around and we see people who are just living for the devil and as evil as they can be, and it seems like everything's working out for them. And maybe sometimes we say, what's the point? Why in the world does it even matter? Well, we're kind of short-sighted when we say that. In the grand scheme of things, in the big picture, it does matter. Our wisdom is going to be worth something. Even the writer here recognizes that wisdom is worth something. Maybe at times we feel like the writer of Ecclesiastes here, and, and it seems as though life is unfair. 
Newsflash, life is unfair. Life is not fair. Uh, sometimes we do good and bad things happen. Sometimes people do bad and good things happen. And that is depressing to us, just as it was to the writer of Ecclesiastes. And so when he looked at all things, even recognizing that wisdom had some good, he still even became depressed thinking about the wise and the foolish and realized that all of this is meaningless as well. Verse 18, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. Now isn't that true? Boy, you work and you're wise and you're, and you're frugal and you prepare and you save all this stuff and you leave it to your kids and, and in two weeks they done spent everything. You've been pinching pennies and holding on to them for all your life, and the one that comes after you might be as foolish, and they may go to the casino and put it all on red and lose it in about 30 seconds. Now, that's kind of a bummer to think about. Well, that's exactly what he said. What is the point? Here I am working hard. I'm saving up. I'm being wise. I'm doing good. And for what purpose? The one who comes after me may be so foolish, they may tear everything I built down in a heartbeat. And that's a pretty depressing thing, but... Then again, that's life. That is reality. He continues on, verse 20. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a man whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. And that doesn't seem fair, does it? that there are some people in the world that work and work and work and prepare and plan and are wise and put back and save and make good decisions, and there are some people out there ain't hit a lick at nothing, and they get what you work for. How does that make any sense? Now, you may think that that's something common to our day and time that just now started, but not so. Nothing new under the sun. This was going on way back when the author of Ecclesiastes wrote this, that there are some who work, and there are some who don't, and the ones who don't take from the ones who do. Now, we probably despair and get depressed or get angry over that as well. And that's exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Look, there's one man who's, who works, who's wise, who's knowledgeable, who has skill, but yet he gives what he has to somebody that don't do anything. Man, that's a bummer, ain't it? Well, that's what he says too. Verse 22 for what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This, too, is futile. You ever felt that way before? You ever worked and worked and worked and feel like you're not getting anywhere? You ever looked at your job you have and your occupation is sorrowful, as he says here? Do you ever lay awake at night thinking about the work that you have to do or whatever it is you're working on and you get no rest? That is life. It was life for the writer of Ecclesiastes, and guess what? It is still life for us. Life is difficult. It's tough. Sometimes it's not fair. Sometimes it doesn't seem right, and it ain't right. 
And that's what he acknowledges here. Look, this is a great wrong, he said, when you work and work and work and somebody else gets what you work for. That's a great wrong. It was when he wrote it, and it still is today. And guess what? If this world's around 5,000 years from now, there's going to be somebody reading this passage saying, yep, I feel the same way he feels because there is, in fact, nothing new under the sun. Verse 24. There is nothing better for man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? Okay, so in the midst of all the things that are kind of a downer, and a lot of these things we've seen in the first two chapters are, are kind of a downer, what does he say here? There is some enjoyment to be had, and what is that? For a man to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. So we do have to enjoy life to some extent. And where does that enjoyment come from? Well, he's already told us at the beginning of this chapter, it don't come from stuff. Now, you can work and work and work and work and work, and you can have a lot of stuff, but he's already said that it's meaningless. And if you hadn't found that out or I hadn't found that out, give it time. We probably will find that out. I think, I think the wise will eventually find that out. The foolish probably never find that out. The foolish live their whole life looking for that next thing that they think is going to make everything better, never to find it. But that's the difference between the wise and the foolish. And if, in fact, this is Solomon that wrote this, he is likely, apart from Jesus Christ, the wisest man who has ever walked the face of this earth. And if the wisest man who has ever walked the face of this earth had to learn the hard way that the things of the world don't matter, then what does that say to us? We're probably going to have to learn it the hard way too. We're probably going to seek the we're probably going to seek the the positions of power. We're probably going to seek the houses. We're probably going to seek the gardens. We're probably going to seek the wealth. We're probably going to going to going to seek whatever it is that we think is going to make us feel good. And just as the writer of Ecclesiastes discovered, it ain't nothing ever going to make us feel good. Now the wise will discover that. Hopefully we are the wise. Wouldn't it be great if we could just know that from the get-go? But we really kind of have to learn that the hard way. It's kind of like when a child doesn't want to do what's right. You may tell a child, hey, don't touch this stove. It's hot. Well, you tell them and you tell them and you tell them. But one day, they don't know. They don't comprehend what you're saying until they touch it. And then when they touch it, then they know. Then what you tell them has some meaning. But how many times have we had to learn the hard way? Probably all of us have had some good, wise advice from those who have come before us, and they told us not to do something a certain way, and I bet you we all could come up with a story where we did it the way we wanted to do it, only to discover that it wasn't the right way to do it. There are some lessons we simply have to learn. It was a lesson that the writer of Ecclesiastes had to learn. Even the wisest man in the world had to learn this lesson. In all of his wisdom, he didn't find this lesson out until he lived it. And so it may be for you and I that we may have to learn this lesson the hard way. We may have to get everything we want to discover that it's just as meaningless as anything we could have ever imagined. But hopefully we are wise enough that we will learn that lesson. Hopefully we will not be the fool who chases the wealth of the world our whole life. Hopefully we discover at some point that things of this world are, in fact, meaningless. So, there is some enjoyment in life, he says, to eat and drink and enjoy 
the work that we do. And in fact, there should be some enjoyment. We do work, okay? God wants us to enjoy things. Praise the Lord, we should, within reason. We should be, we should be wise. We should be reasonable, but enjoy life. God gives us so many wonderful things in this world to enjoy, and we need to enjoy those. And where does that enjoyment of life come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. Because he said, who can, who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him, apart from the Lord? Well, that is nobody. So even if we eat, drink, and try to enjoy life, we won't do it apart from the Lord. And so we need to realize that point because that's kind of the whole point of the book, right? We skipped to the end last week to see that point. And here he kind of alludes to that a little bit here. Verse 26, For to the man who is pleasing in his sight... He gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This, too, is futile in a pursuit of the wind. Now, passages uh, 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 like these, they may, they may kind of make us think, wait a minute here. It, it says that, that for those that God is pleased with, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives, he gives these miserable tasks. Uh, now, uh, you, you may, if you study verses like these, you may hear of a, of a teaching called, uh, I think it's called the doctrine of retribution. That is that, that if you do good, you're going to get good. And if you're not doing good, you're not going to get good. So therefore, if you get sick, if you have cancer, if things aren't working out, it's, it's always punishment for not doing good. Because verses like these say, look, God, is, he, he blesses those he's pleased with, but, but he brings trouble on those who, who do bad. Well, that is reading a little too much into this verse because, because we just saw the opposite a, a few verses up where he said, hey, look, uh, the, 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 those who work have to, have to give to those who don't, uh, even though they were doing good. Uh, as we look through Scripture, it seems pretty clear that the doctrine of uh, retribution is not a godly doctrine at all. There are simply sometimes that bad things happen to good people. That is inevitable. Uh, after all, Jesus died on the cross. Now, that was not a result of any bad thing that he did. That was not retribution. It was not, oh, Jesus was evil. He has to be nailed to a cross. Not at all. There are times in life uh, that we may ourselves, even if we are good godly people, not saying that we're sinless, but there may be times that we find ourselves getting some kind of sickness. And maybe we even question, is this punishment from the Lord? I suppose perhaps on occasion it could be. Uh, but to say that every bad thing that ever happens to anybody is a result or a consequence of some sin is going beyond what the Bible teaches. The fact of the matter is, is that sometimes bad things happen to good godly people. And sometimes good things happen to people who are evil. But in the end, godly people are going to be blessed. In the end, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are going to receive God's blessing, His, His wisdom and His knowledge and His joy for all of eternity. And in the end, those who have done evil will not get to experience those things. They will, in fact, experience the wrath of God. And we see that teaching all throughout the Scripture. And so we see at the end of this chapter that everything is like it was in chapter 1. There, in fact, is nothing new under the sun. This life is pretty depressing. But what is the only thing that matters? It is to seek the Lord. Because as the author has told us, and maybe we have discovered in our own life, 
things of this world are meaningless. Where is joy found? He tells us. There is only enjoyment in life in Him, in the Lord. And so again, we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the end of the book, and we see the main point of the book. In the midst of all of these things that are a downer, and we looked at a bunch of them tonight, it's important for us to see where the author is going with this. He's pointing out all of these bad things, all of these difficulties, all of the things of life that are just depressing to get to one main point. And that is, as bad as this life may be, even for us tonight in this room, we must remember what matters. And what does the author of Ecclesiastes say matters? In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, he says, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, Fear God and keep His commands, because this is for all humanity. This is what matters, is that we live for God, right? That we don't live for the world because things of the world are meaningless. If we have not discovered it yet, hopefully we will gain the wisdom from the Lord to discover that truth. And when we discover that truth, there is only one thing that remains. And that is to love the Lord our God with all our whole, with all our uh, mind. Love the Lord our God with all our, our heart, mind, uh, and soul. And love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the only thing that matters. And that's what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for your good, good word. And I pray, God, that you just bless these words. And the fact of the matter is, dear Lord, we, we know they're true because we have, in fact, lived life, God. We live it every day. And so we know about the things in this life that just aren't fair, that aren't right, that kind of bum us out. But God, in the midst of those things, let us find the little things that perhaps you have given us to find enjoyment in. Let us eat and drink and find some enjoyment in life, dear Lord, that only comes when we seek you, when we are blessed by you. So God, I pray tonight, maybe there's some that come into this room feeling a lot like uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, but, but God, let us come to the same conclusion that he did. Let us come to you, dear Lord. As bad as this world may be, dear Lord, you are good. As bad as this world may be, God, you have promised to take us from this world when that time in our life comes to be with you. So, God, let us find what joy we can in you in this life and long for the joy that we will find with you for all of eternity. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.